how are you on your bad days as a leader? That's when you earn your true worth, in my opinion. Today, on the Rising Coaches Podcast, we get the pleasure of speaking with a former NBA player and Division I coach who is currently a motivational speaker as well as podcast host of his show, It All Counts, Coach Conzo Martin. Coach Martin started his coaching career after his NBA stint where he would play for various teams, including the Atlanta Hawks, Bucks, as well as various teams in the CBA, which continued his basketball career on the other side of the lines. First as a head coach in high school, which ultimately led him into a position at Purdue University. He then grew in his role to be an associate head coach, leading him ultimately into head coaching stints at numerous schools, including Missouri State, Tennessee, California, and most recently, Missouri. Please welcome Coach Conzo Martin. Prepare your team for success this season with our friends at Dr. Dish Basketball, the official number one selling shooting machine in basketball. If you're looking to transform and focus your team's training efforts, all you have to do is mention Rising Coaches or tell them we sent you with the Rising Coaches podcast. For an additional $300 off, select Dr. Dish Shooting Machines. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Rising Coaches Podcast. Again, Doug Caputo and Alan Major here. And our special guest is a former NBA player and well-known coach in the basketball industry. But on top of that, current motivational speaker, Coach Conzo Martin. Coach Martin, what's going on? Good, man. How you guys doing? Good, so welcome, man. East Boogie in the house, man. East Boogie oh, man. in the house. No doubt about it. I'm glad to be here. I covered all aspects for you. There you go. So to just to give you as well as everybody listening an idea, um, we t- typically stay to the same format, but we're going to talk about your journey, you know, your playing career, going into your coaching career, and then obviously into uh, where you are now. Uh, but we'll, we'll kind of cover each stop as your coaching career get a little more in depth with them. But then at the end, um, our second segment, get a little bit into your motivational speaking and podcast, because one thing, and I I love that type of thing, and especially for coaches, you got to be able to motivate your kids. So we'll just ask some questions about, you know, the motivational side of thing, talk about your podcast. And at the very end, to wrap it up, our final segment, three quick hitters. In other words, just a way to everybody get to meet you um, as a person. So start things out. You had a tremendous playing career at Purdue University. Um, I'll do, like I always tell everybody, I'll do the bragging for you for the most part. You played for Gene Keedy, went on to win back-to-back Big Ten Conference titles in an Elite Eight appearance. First, how was it playing for Coach Keedy? And then, you know, what are some things that maybe you liked about his style? Well, it was a phenomenal experience to play, be able to play for Coach because he was uh, an extraordinary man. He was, uh, I guess some would say hard-nosed, but for me, he was just a coach, you know, because I grew up in East St. Louis, Illinois, so between my elementary coaches to my high school coaches, I guess you would say tough, hard-nosed, but, I mean, those guys loved me. They had a tremendous amount of compassion for me. They wanted to see me be successful. The same way with Coach Katie, I think the difference playing for Coach Katie was a different element uh, and a culture shock somewhat growing from East St. Louis to West Lafayette, Indiana. Uh, totally different environment, just the rigors of the academic piece, but also uh, the things that you had to become better at on the basketball floor, the adjustments I had to make. So it was a different world for me, and it was a 
probably from the time I got on campus in June to maybe January, it, it was tough, but tough in a good way, not not tough from the standpoint of wanting to give up. But I think Coach was a fair man. I think that's as hard as he was, he was a fair man. He gave you opportunity. And in recruiting me, in a nutshell, for all the other, all the other things he said, he just said, if, if you go to class every day, you'll get a degree. If you work hard, you'll play. So that there were no promises made. So you had to earn everything that you got as a ball player. And for me, that, that was fair enough, uh, just an opportunity. Plus, the luxury from East St. Louis to West Lafayette, Indiana, I had, a, I had a chance to change my life and my world, so to speak. So my mom was just ecstatic about her son having an opportunity to get a degree. The basketball part is what it is. I mean, that, she wasn't consumed with that. But but her son was being able to have an opportunity to get his college paid for. But it Coach gave me every right to be a successful student athlete as well as a man and he did a tremendous job i'm forever grateful for him and to him now he was he was like uh well i say it was is like just a, what you see is what you get you know like sometimes people might think coach katie would would struggle in today's society but he's the ultimate truth teller man like and the beauty of it is he loved you because he told you the truth but he he told you the truth because he loved you so you always knew those two things were coming, you know. <laughs> now they they manifest themselves in different ways on different days, but you always knew, like you know, where he was coming from. He never, there was never any guesswork, you know, with him. Well, I think a lot of times, uh, young men struggle with coaches like Coach Katie and guys that are similar because it's uncomfortable when you you don't get a lot of pats on the back and a lot of hugs. Uh, especially when you come from nurturing environments. And for me, the nurturing came from my mom. So now all of a sudden you go from that to Coach Katie, where on your bad days, there's no more hugs. You know, it's that tough love. It's, it's that love <laughs> to grow into a man, which which is great. So it's a different type of love. And I, and I tell people all the time, it, it, his, his, his love was a form of discipline. It's the everyday, the mundane things that make you great. You might not feel it now, you might not like it now, but you'll grow from it. You'll become a better man, husband, father, teacher, and leader. And that's what Coach was good at. But he was consistent in his approach. If you if you do these things, you will be successful in life. Like some some as small as you brush your teeth every morning, you brush your teeth at night, you make your bed before you leave to go to class, you do you be on time all the time. Well, those are for a lot of people, those are lessons. For the first time, they really have to adapt to when they get to college by being consistent in your approach, on your day-to-day -day approach. And that's what makes the good great, because they're consistent in those small things. And he, he was good at being consistent in his approach. So I'm I'm so happy you said that. And I actually have this on my desk, and, and you literally just talked right on it. I knew at some point in this conversation it was going to come up because you're starting to get the motivational side out of you here. It says, I have this paper, and it says, I keep it on my desk. The secret of your future is hidden in your daily routine. And you literally just touched on it with five minutes into the podcast. So honestly, perfect. But it's completely the truth. I couldn't agree with you more. So for you, you get your name, Shining Lights, Atlanta Hawks, uh, and also playing for numerous teams, Vancouver Grizzlies, Milwaukee Bucks, and even played for people who don't know the CBA, Continental Basketball League. Talk about your playing career, being able to play at that next level, and then just the experiences you had there. It, it was a real blessing for me because uh, my first major knee surgery was 1987, uh, March of 1987. When I was in the ninth grade, I went up to dunk a volleyball. We, we were, I'm, I'm going to say we were skipping art class, but the teacher wasn't there. So we went to the gym, tried to dunk the volleyball, and I came down and, and I tried to get up in my 
bone was sticking out of my leg. And and I had to get, it was so it was fractured, so I had to get two screws in my leg. And they still been there since 87. Uh, so that was the first one. And then the second one was when I got to uh, Purdue as a freshman. Then the third one was my senior year, like October, my senior year. So now when I got to Purdue as a freshman, they felt like, man, I wouldn't be able to play a year at best because my knees were so bad. Because unfortunately, when you come from environments like I came from, when money's hard to come by, I had the surgery, but we didn't have the resources or, or the, the thought process to do the rehab after. We just had the surgery, I had the, cast, the old school cast on. And after the six weeks, the cast off, you you back outside, you're playing. Well, not rehab and not strengthening that leg. I ended up paying for it, going to my freshman year of college. And I ended up, then my third one was October of my senior year of college. So for me, having the opportunity to get, to get my name called as a 57 pick in the NBA draft was a blessing because my prayers from the time I was a freshman up until my senior year is to just to be able to continue to play. Because when you when you hear the words, uh, he might play a year at best as a freshman, that, that's a hard thing. Not, not that it discourages me, but, but it, it caused you to pause and reflect on a lot of things like basketball might not be a forever thing for me. So what's next? Well, I didn't know what was next. All I knew was I was just trying to make my mom's life better than what it was. That's all I knew. So. So the next thing was God just let me hear my. So once I finished college and had a successful college career, because I felt like I was one of the best role players in the country, not necessarily a star, but I felt like I was as good as any role guy in the country. Glenn Robinson was a star, but I felt like I was great in my role. So then the opportunity comes around to be drafted. I just simply prayed to God, just allow me to hear my name be drafted, be called. That's all. And then when my name was called and I want a little bit more, let me step on the floor. <laughs> because you know, I, just, I felt like I put the time and the work into it, but that doesn't guarantee you. Everybody works. That doesn't guarantee you anything. So I just, but my prayers were every time I prayed to just give me a little bit more. Cause I knew once they saw the x-rays with my knees, I mean, that wouldn't last long. And, and the, the lack of extension and flexion in my knees, I, I knew what it was, but to be able to opportunity, have the opportunity to put the Jersey on, to be a part of a team, that was it for me. And I, I was good to go after that. Yeah. You know, it's funny. It's a, um, all the stuff that you see as a pro, even in that brief period of time, it, but it's the, the 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 level of professionalism that those guys have that I I, I really don't think, you know, kids have a, a true understanding of that, and um, you know, just talk about that a little bit, just how going from college and then just being in that world. Just, you know, in the time that you were, just the, the level of professionalism that those guys have is off the charts, right? Man, you, you're talking about you, you have to, you have to, again, you, you're blessed with a certain gift. You, you, and, and I'll give an example, uh, like like for, like for like Michael Jordan, everybody, Michael Jordan, okay, great. There are probably guys that could jump just as high. There are probably guys just as fast. Guys just as strong. You got six, six guys. You got a lot of guys who, who everybody's always, who's the next Mike, who's this and that. But his level of grit, resolve, his determination, his commitment to being the best in the world, and really more than anything, his fight. Like, there is no way in the world I, I would allow you to be better than me. Because if we're equal, then you have to fight harder than I fight. Now, and I, I'm going to win that fight. So if we're equal in the fight, then if you get up at four, I got to get up at three. So he just was not going to let you be better. And I think that's what. You talk about guys that are really great. It's not so. It's not that they do these this many things that's better, but it's just these small, mundane, everyday things because everybody's talented. 
You got a lot of talented guys. But what separates the good from the greatest, man? I'm, I'm willing to die for this. I'm, I'm willing to lay it on the line. I'm willing to sacrifice. And let's let's be frank here. I'm willing to sacrifice the night night out in the club. I'm willing to sacrifice the drugs, the alcohol, the sex. I'm willing to sacrifice all that to be special. How many are willing to do that? Because that takes a level of consistency. How many how many young college guys you see? I'm very talented. And then it, this this is what always amazed me. When you see guys on your team and you try to get them to do certain things, but all of a sudden when the season's over and they're preparing for the draft, now they stop eating sugars, they're drinking all water, they're getting to bed at night, they're training three or four times a day. It's like, well, hold up. What? Yeah, Why where you, was all that? <laughs> <laughs> because, because, because what you've done, you've programmed your mind back then to think that was okay. So now you're trying to muster up energy. Now it's too late because you programmed your mind three years ago to be average. When you led on the line, and Al, you know this because you were around me as a player, but man, I, I, I couldn't eat after practices because I, I gave it everything I had. And my schedule in college was rehab in the morning. You got class, you got practice, working your game, you got weightlifting, you got practice. And that was four years I had to rehab because of my knees. There was no, well, I'm going to take a month off rehab. No, that was a lifestyle. And when I, and when I was done playing, I was done. I, my, my last game at Purdue, I was happy it was over. And, and I enjoyed the experience but I had nothing left to give. I gave everything I had. You're talking about guys that are being pros. It's like, can you make, okay, you want to be on a perimeter. Can you make 10 shots in a row in this spot? Can you make 10 over in the row? Can you make 10 in this spot? Can you make, I used to shoot around the world in the summertime, just on my three, because I wasn't a very good three-point shooter. I didn't shoot them at all in high school. In my first year of college, I didn't shoot them. So now what I did, going into my junior year summer, I would shoot 500 threes pretty much every day, at least six days a week. Now, in that, that's 500 threes. I'm not talking about the pull-ups or the, the curls in the lane because we ran the motion off. You got the curls, you got the flare screens, all that. I'm talking about simply three-point shots, 500. You're talking about 500 three-point shots a day in 1993, 94, 95. That's a lot of shots with no gun machines. Somebody got to go chase those balls. <laughs> and now you know how it is, but when I first started out, those balls are flying everywhere. So after a while, after a while, after reps, after reps, after reps, all of a sudden you hear shoo, 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 shoo. And I just made a commitment that I have be, got to become a better shooter because there's no way in the world you got the best player in the country and Glenn Robson. These guys are sagging off me and I can't make a shot. Man, I can't, I can't sleep at night like that. So, but, but, but in the process with that, Al, for a lot of young guys, coach told me, he said, I was 0 for 6 my sophomore. He said, don't shoot any more threes, though. And this is probably after 10, 11 games. I didn't shoot another three the rest of the season. But in that, he didn't say don't be a great player. He didn't say don't rebound, don't defend, don't score. Because I go back to a game. We played at Indiana my sophomore year. I had 32 points at Indiana. I was 15 for 18 from the field, all two-point shots and free throws. So he didn't say don't be great. I just need you to stop doing this in order for our team to be successful. So now – there's, so as a sophomore in college, there's a level of sacrifice that I have to give, and there's a level of commitment that I have to do to do other things because he took that away. And then how dedicated am I to reach these goals? And more importantly, are you going to quit shooting threes? Now, I'll give you an example there because some might say, why did you give up shooting those threes? I'm going to give you the same example in the same year. Glenn Robinson, we planned. He's Dog probably shooting 29% from three. He's scoring 25 points a game. He's probably shooting 29 this time from three. Get being pressure guys up on him. Coach tells Dog to stop shooting threes and do other things. He's still scoring 25 a game. The next game, Dog, dog go out and go five for seven from three the next game. 
the next game. Now, again, he wasn't disrespectful to coach, but he knew who he was and he knew what his game was. That's the difference. So some might say, well, Zoe, why'd you stop shooting? Maybe coach challenged you. Well, I stopped shooting out of respect to coach. But dog, on the other hand, this is what I do, coach. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. He did it. Yeah. Now, one of my favorite phrases, uh, I work for a guy named Bob Thomason at uh, University of Pacific. He's retired now, but yes. he had one of the greatest phrases. And I still use it to this day anytime I get the chance. He said, my confidence puts you in the game, but your confidence keeps you in it. Yeah, I'm about to steal it out. I'm about to steal it out. <laughs> <laughs> so, and he, and so we're writing is, it down real is, quick. <laughs> this is 1995, and I'm a young buck at Pacific Restricted Earnings Coach, you know, trying to figure out which end we're shooting on. I mean, I didn't know Jack, you know. And this dude is one of the – he's one of the most brilliant offensive minds I've ever been around. But but I, I he, he – that's – you know, everybody has something that just kind of cements itself. They'll say something that's just like – some that phrase cemented itself with me because that's where you try to get guys to the point. Like it, it's one thing for me to trust what you're doing, but you've got to get yourself to the point where you trust your own level of work when the lights are on. So, uh, so yeah, you can, you can have that one, man, but I, I stole it. Uh, I, I'm a proud <laughs> thief. I'm a proud thief, man. So Coach, coach would be proud that you uh you be repeating that one, man. He he's the best. He was he was a heck of a coach now. And then following your playing career, you well, I should say first, let's just start with what made you get into coaching? Let's just we'll just start there before we even kind of get into the whole coaching. Like what what was the the thing that you were like, all right, I want to go, I want to go coach. Simply uh, coach Katie. And and only reason so so like again, leaving East St. Louis, my whole goal was to make my mom's life better. Whatever that meant, I didn't have a plan. And, and, and back then, guys weren't really talking about I got to make it to the pros, I got to make it to the pros. You were trying to be the best college person and player you could become. So it wasn't like I got to be an NBA player. So wasn't sure what that was. But I, I just think Coach Katie called me about two weeks before I was going back to Italy to play professional ball. And uh, I realized man, my days were numbered in that. And he called me about the opportunity to be on his staff. But in the process of calling me on his staff, I had to go back to finish school because when I was in college, I never went to summer school at one time because I felt like I could make more money working in the summer than I could with summer school. The summer school check, it might have been a thousand dollars a month if that, but that, that I'm not sure what that really covered. You know, that's not a lot. So I felt like I can work and make more money working out because I worked a job and also, you know, worked the camps, that sort of thing. So I can make money just in case I need to send money home. Not that my mom and anybody was pressing me to send money home, but I felt like a joy to be able to do that. So when coach came with that opportunity, I just said, uh, you know, I'm going to go with it, coach. But I had to go back and finish school. So the calendar year, so 99, I think that year I was finishing school. And I started on Purdue staff in 2000. But the year I was going to school, I worked at West Lafayette High School. It's right, it's about two blocks from Purdue's campus. And I worked there as a, yep. a, a JV coach and also, you know, assistant on the varsity team. But it was a great experience to really, more than anything, the great experience I got out of that was how to communicate in the locker room. Because those those young kids were wonderful, man, and I have relationships with those guys today. I'm talking about guys between the ages of 13 to 16. But but you have things that you don't realize that you, you take for granted, your halftime speech, your speech before the game. What are you talking about the guy? Your practice planning, all those things. And David Wood was a high school coach there, so I learned a lot of lessons from him because that's why I had to get it from the blueprint, the itinerary, and all that. And I learned a lot of those lessons, but coming in halftime speeches, those guys today talk about some of my halftime speeches. Now, I mean, it's like, I mean, just, 
Because again, I, I was fresh off just being a player. So my, my whole energy was about as a player, we were competing as a player. So I was one of the guys and I just grew from that. Then I transitioned to Purdue on the staff in 2000. And, and I, I can safely say, man, I, I know everybody think this is easy, but it's a tough, tough thing to be a good assistant coach because you got to fit in with other guys. You have to understand your role. You have to be committed to a team. It's not about you. And I think, I think a great a great assistant coach, in my opinion, can do a lot of things. But, but can you be invisible and effective at the same time? Because nobody needs to see you. But can you be invisible and effective at the same time? And, and for me, a, a great assistant to me, yes, you, you got to understand whatever it is, whatever coach want offensively, if you're recruiting, defense, whatever special, whatever that is. But do you have a love to see each player successful? I don't care if he's white, black. Latino, whatever he is, do you have a love to see him be successful? Yeah, first guy, 13, 13th guy, walk-ons, yeah. It's absolutely. all the same to me. They, they, they all the same to me. I, I could care less. It, it didn't matter. Star player, it was all the same to me because at the end of the day, that's somebody's child. And what happens, their mom or dad passed that baton to that coaching staff to say, take care of my baby. That was it. Now, yep. can you do that? Because I, I – I, I guarantee you go back and look at the last 10 national championship teams. Last 10 of them, at least two or three guys were unhappy on a championship team because they felt like they worked to be stars. It didn't, but I had to accept the role. So somebody's going to be unhappy at some point. That, that's part of the game. But overall, as a coach, did you set the right goals for these young men in life on and off the court? Were you committed to them reaching those goals? Did you apply the proper work ethic for these young men on the court as well as off the court? Not only just to get a degree, but have a successful career. And then the hardest part as a coach, and this is hard, did you teach that young man how to embrace or accept feedback? And I mean, when I say feedback, that constructive criticism. So we, we kind of, we struggle around these words because young men don't like to hear these words, but that constructive criticism, meaning I got, I got to critique you, young man, in order for you to be successful. Like, now I got to give you this information now. Now, how, how you receive it would probably determine a large percentage of how you live the rest of your life. Yeah. So how you want this? How, how you want me to do this? How yeah. you want me to give it to you? Because I got to give it to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, I, since we're in the stealing business, I'm stealing and invisible <laughs> and effective. So <laughs> we, since we're jacking phrases here from each other, I, 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 I just put those. I just put that one in my hip pocket, man. Invisible and effective. All right. Yeah, hey, gonna, you know, not, not, a lot of times, a lot of young guys, a lot of coaches, they they want you to see them. Uh, they want you to see them because everybody. It's just you got to stay humble in this thing, man, and and, and count your blessings and be the best version. Because, like for example, as as an assistant coach, now, Matt, what I'm saying is. It took me about three years as an assistant coach to feel like I was effective. And that, I'm clear that, so I want to be real. It's because there was so much you have to learn. But I think mm -hmm. how many assistants, like, like, like I've had guys on my staff as assistants, they would, they would before recruits get there, they'll go down and get the vacuum, the broom, the Kleenex, and the towel, and up to my high level, whatever level, and, and, and clean up the locker rooms and all that. And you would think the maintenance crew did it, but that assistant did it. And he never said he did it. Someone else had to say, hey, you know, so-and-so cleaned that. That's what I mean right there. Did his job and kept, he was a part of the program. That, when you get assistant coaches like that, man, it's a, it's a or like, like say for example, and I know this, this, this one almost, you know, put me in a casket sometimes, and most coaches deal with this. You, you're out on the road recruiting, 
Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. All of a sudden, you you land Friday. You got recruits on campus Friday, Saturday, and you and you sitting there walking around like a zombie as a coach. But you got to go to the breakfast. You got to go to the <laughs> breakfast, ride around in the car, lunch, dinner. And you and you sitting there like. And then the other thing, your, your car dirty. Well, how many assistant coach say, "Go give me them keys. Let me go. I'm gonna go clean your car up and put some gas in. All shine, spit shine, and it's beautiful." How many of them do that? And, and don't skip a beat, like coach. You know, I cleaned your car. Uh, that's twenty five dollars. Man, it's it's all that stuff behind the scenes that make the man. When you see some of these head coaches at the top of that game and very successful, yeah, they have great minds, but they got great guys behind them. They got great guys that that don't flinch. They'll they'll, they'll take the blows for coach. They'll stand in front of that's my mistake or whatever it is. That's a great team. That's a great program. Yeah, no, for sure, man. It, and we we talk about this on the spot a lot of just you know. The three things we always talk about wanting to do out here is, in, you know, in, inspire, educate, and challenge. And one of the the challenge part of that three-headed monster is making sure that we put a, a great product out there that is going to let coaches know, like, hey, look, you know, obviously this is a very tough profession, but um, we're in a day and age now where, obviously, through social, through agents, through search firms, through you know, sometimes the mission can get missed of like putting yourself out there as opposed to like, how do we beat our opponent by one point tomorrow? You know, yeah, uh, because the mentality is sometimes, hey, I got to I got to get my you know, I want to make Jeff Goodman's top 40 under 40 or whatever it is, you know, um, and sometimes it can just it can just get a little bit displaced. And on this pod, as long as at least I and Doug have, a, have our chance, you know, we're going to be about like sending that message of like, hey, man, be a star where you are. Be great in your role. You know, invisible and effective is going to be added to the future of what we start to talk about out here. <laughs> but just the idea of like, hey, if we win, man, they come looking for everybody when you when you win. Completely. Just, yeah, they, they really do. And so um, that's probably a little bit of an old school approach, but it's going to be ours because that's that's where it's at, you know. Um, and sometimes, well, again, that and we, we're in a day and age where that can get sometimes the card ends up in front of the horse sometimes. So go ahead, Doug. No, I was going to say last year. I mean, that, that's prime example real quick. My coach won head coach of the year. We won the championship. He won head coach of the year. I was like, I walk in, tell him congrats, all this. He goes, well, hey, congrats to you. And I'm like, what did I do? He goes, you got assistant coach of the year. I'm like, wow, I never really, I guess I never really thought of it that way. There you go. <laughs> but it was just one of those. I'm like, all right, cool. Think about that. Cool. Yeah. Um, and I do have to say real quick, I'm, I'm running out of like paper space over here. Cause you guys are just dropping little gold nuggets left and right. So I'm, <laughs> <laughs> especially when we get both of you on the same call, dropping motivational quotes, I'm like, all right, all right, everybody got uh, it. Me and this dude go back a minute, man. So you, I should have <laughs> told you, I should have told you it was coming. Oh yeah, I know. But now to, as you mentioned, you went West Lafayette, go over to Purdue, you're an assistant, grow to an associate head. Then um, you graduate on from there, from the associate head coaching position to you start your head coaching career. Um, and we won't necessarily make every single stop because we won't want to have to keep you here for four hours. But um, you go Missouri State, then Tennessee, California, and then, of course, most recent, Missouri. Um, all as head coach. Just talk about your journey as a head coach and some things that you learned uh, throughout those years. First off, there were blessings and uh, phenomenal experiences too, man. Just to, 
I've always been a guy. I don't I don't take anything for granted because I believe there's a God. I, I truly believe that. So I don't take anything for granted. And I think he blesses you with certain assignments, whether they're good or bad, but he blesses you with those assignments. And the key is you finding your purpose in them. And that can be a bumpy road. Because uh, I've always prayed for prayed to God for a phenomenal education. And then more importantly, God, I want to be a free man. That's what I prayed about all the time. I want to be a free man. What I mean by a free man, to be able to live life with joy, love, peace, happiness, and to be able to help people, to help the homeless, the hopeless. Uh, and it just, so for me, when I was blessed with the head coaching opportunity, Missouri State was the, my first year was the hardest experience in my coaching career, I tell you, because again, there was really no blueprint because I, I don't care how much time you spend as assistant coach, there's no blueprint once you sit in that seat because it's all you at this point. It's all you. So now you you, you can't pass the buck off on this assistant over that program because you have the final say in the program. So for me, it was it was really learning how to communicate because I think there's a difference. And I think a lot of young athletes should get this at, at the, and I can talk about this at the elementary school level. I want to get off track here, but I just think the ability to communicate one-on-one -on -one or with five people, a hundred or room of a thousand, can you communicate in that setting? Well, when you've been an assistant coach for so long behind the scenes, that is all new to you. So now you thrust in front of that podium and you got to be able to speak about your program. I'm trying to learn about my program first. And at camp, especially when you first get a job, that first 60 days, it never stops because everybody want to meet you and see you. And, and of course, I, I made a lot of mistakes in what I was saying and how I was trying to go about it, but I always stay consistent and play hard, work hard, try your best. Let's be a good teammate. And one thing we always learn with Coach Katie, we always say together we attack. So for me, it was always together. Whatever we do, we do it together. But that first year at Missouri State, I tell you, man, we we struggled. We probably dropped like four in a row. And I, I remember uh, I was at home in the bed. So, so again, the time has been years. And this is 2008, 2009 season. But I'm in the bed. And all of a sudden, my wife just kind of say, um, I, so I'm assuming it's between six and seven thirty something like that in the morning because i'm normally up in that in the office and i'm in the bed and my wife just said is, is this how you want your leadership to look meaning like so so now times get real tough so you're gonna stroll in the office a little later than everybody else and that and then that's so that's how you want to look and i'm not exactly i could be off a few minutes or seconds but from the time i got my clothes on in that car in the office by 15 minutes i was <laughs> <laughs> Hey, man, I'm about fast. I had to get that off, but but because I understood it, and it's like so, so. As a leader, how are you on your bad days as a leader? That's when mm. you earn your true worth, in my opinion. And so for me, it was up and that we rolled, and then all of a sudden we finished that year. The next year we won the CIT. As a matter of fact, we actually beat Pacific in the CIT championship, and then. The third year, we won the Missouri Valley Conference Championship, and they, they had that was the first time they hadn't done it since. So it's, I mean, it's just great, man. It just, but you put the time into it. And then obviously, going off to Tennessee, a great experience. Cal Berkeley, great experience. And I think that's where I grew the most when it comes to life at Cal Berkeley, because again, being out in the Bay Area, the culture, uh, all the history of the Black Panther Party, and all the educational things that you learn out there, and it's like wow. I, I just and, and everybody should experience that just that that world. I mean, the basketball piece it is what it is. Having experience to be around Steve Kerr, who, who of course a phenomenal coach, but a phenomenal man. His son was on our team as a walk on. It just done a great job. He did it. I mean, and you talking about a, a, a guy that Steve Kerr has done at a high level, very successful. 
but moves with such humility and you see his kids the same way, the same approach. And you wonder why they're successful because they understand the importance of life. But just being out in the Bay Area, phenomenal experience. And then obviously going back on to Mizzou to be a part of a program, trying to lift it up when you have, we have a lot of social unrest and stuff that were going on. So I felt like I was in a mix of that it was all beautiful. So my experiences have been one that you can write a book about, hence write a book. You know. <laughs> <laughs> But and it's been uh, but it's been phenomenal. I, mean, I just think, and and I'll say, still a lot of work to do. Because one thing about me and coaching, I enjoy. There's no better joy for me than to see a young man grow on and off the court. To see a young man, because I would always say to players too, like everybody wants to be a pro. Nothing wrong with that. But I would say to young men, okay, work as hard as you can work. Whoever the best player, work work hard like LeBron. Work hard like Kobe. Work hard like MJ. Whoever, pick one. Work hard like that now. If you don't reach the goal of being a pro, well, you still can be a successful CEO of a company. You still can be a very successful man, husband, father, teacher, and leader. You still can be very successful because you built the habits to be successful. You have the work ethic and you have the ability to not quit or give up. So I think those are the great things about coaching. I mean, yes, everybody wants to win a championship. I mean, you, you work as hard as you can work to get there. Certain things don't work out. You get the ball rolls your way, whatever it is. But are you putting yourself in position to be successful in life? And I think that's what it comes down to. Damn. I just I'm I'm just sitting over here. I'm like, I just set my alarm for six o'clock in the morning. I'll be waking up tomorrow morning, making sure to hit the weight room real no, quick no. and everything. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna send you um, a text at 632. Is this how you wanna continue your leadership? Hey. Hey, I need. I, is, is this like, please do, please do, because if I wake up tomorrow and I I don't see that text, be, oh, shit. Um, but real quick before we get into the final segment, kind of. Well, I should say not the final segment. The the talking about your podcast, motivational speaking, which we got more than enough uh, motivational already. But for you, you know, all these all opportunities for head coaching and everything. I know, like as we mentioned, you stepped away. Is there any opportunity for to see a uh, to see a coach Zoe again or? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I just think it, it, has, it has to be right. And what I mean by right, uh, the universe is, is built on the right things. Do, do you value the experience of the student athlete? I mean, because, again, I, I enjoy for me on the sidelines and practice. It's like a celebration or party to me. And I have great energy, great passion. Man. I, I coach it as if I'm on the floor with the guys and you can see me running down the sideline. It's just a joy to me. It's my life. I, I've always felt like uh I'm always winning in life because what God has blessed me with. So, and I always said, man, if you can get a young man to raise his courage and raise his expectations, man, what you think his guy can become? You just get him, come on, believe just a little bit more, believe just a little bit more. Then you teach him how, what it means to have respect for all walks of life, the accountability, the commitment and doing the right things and loving all people. You don't have to agree with them. You don't have to like it, but you got to find a way to love all people. You got to open your heart, man. When you got a cold heart, it's hard to love. When you got a cold heart, it's hard to grow with a cold heart. So for me, is my joy is to see a young man to be whatever he wants to be in life. And that's why I get a, my pleasures. To see him on the sound, oh, yeah. You, I mean, if, if it's right and I enjoy it, oh, no question about it. And in in this, I, I'm with you, Zoke. It's so much about the people. Like, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's hard enough to beat the other team by one point. So that you know you got that going on. But if you got a if you got other battles that you're dealing with that are kind of subtracting from everything, you know, trying to get on the same page with whether it's administration or things like that, or you know, a place just doesn't believe in what you believe in and feel what you feel, like that's that 
it, it you know you got 32 games on the schedule but that's that's a that's 365 more games on your schedule that you're dealing with in addition <laughs> to trying to coach your team so you know but uh but i it, it's uh we're, we're the lucky ones man this profession um and hopefully all the and people of all levels listen to this pod, you know, whether it's youth up to, you know, NBA guys, everybody in between men's side, women's side, doesn't matter. But, you know, one of the things that um, I had Lionel Chalmers on here a few weeks ago and uh, was lucky enough to coach Lionel Xavier. And he's with the Orlando Magic now doing doing a great job with JMOs. But we were texting the other day and we were just talking about the joy of the partnership. Meaning like when you when you have a player and you're you're trying to get them to maximize themselves, hit them, hit their own head on their own ceiling, whatever that looks like. But then when they actually take a step forward, they actually challenge you in a healthy way to now you got to go get better yourself as a coach. Because all you're going to do is turn around and give that back to them. Mm. And now they take another step forward. And it's like, all right, coach, your turn. What you got for me? And sometimes it's stuff that you have in your own bag. Sometimes you better get on the phone with a NBA guy or you're a guy and just say, hey, man, send me some stuff for your big. You know, what do you do with your bigs? Send, you know, what it tell, send me some pick and roll stuff for your guards. And so all you're going to do is give that growth back to them. And then so that that partnership, man, like that, there's no greater joy in what we do than that right there because everybody talks about coaches making players better i say players make coaches better too in mm, that yeah. in that way and, yeah. when, and when you got two people that are committed to the joy and the journey and the day-to-day and you know like that dude's like he he, he he already got he already got the hook in his mouth because he's taking some steps forward so now when it's just like that day-to-day doing it together hey man i'm with you like there is there are no bad days when you have it when when that's going on so um that partnership thing is is special i mean like i said you know doug you're in the thick of it right now and i know you feel that you know with Mm. your own guys at chatham man like you know that's uh, because of that none of us have ever worked a day in our life yeah Completely. I mean, even just the littlest thing, a kid makes a free throw, he's been struggling to free throws, he looks over at me and kind of like points right at you. And it's just like one of those, you get a chill down your spine, you're like, it's so stupid and so little, you know, but it, it, at the end of the day, this kid's thinking of you and, and he know, he's noticing the results after things start working out. Um, which is going to kind of lead us right into what we want to start doing is talking about the motivational side of things. Grant, like I said, I know we've been talking motivationally this whole time and I love it, but um your own podcast. Now, I was doing some research, listening to a couple, and, and it's just like you could do a full episode, full podcast on this. Obviously, you do. I mean, for us, I'd love to dissect it more sometime in the future. But just for people listening, it's called It All Counts, and it focuses on personal development, career growth, and just finding your full potential in life. I, we kind of covered it for the most part, but like, what made you want to start this? Uh, great question, Doug. It's just, you know, I thought about doing it uh, July of 22, just, you know, podcast. And then just, you know, moved to Florida, getting settled in, uh, making sure my daughter was good. And then we enjoying the Florida sun and time passed. Then really just finding peace, uh, 
with life, you know, because for New me, chapter, just to, just stepping into stepping into the unknown in a way. Peace, because I felt like I felt like it was almost I don't know if you guys could see, but it felt like I was just when I left East St. Louis at 18, just felt like I was just running, just running, just running, mm-hmm. trying to achieve something, pursuing something, grabbing at something. And then finally, just my, my wife and I, we were walking because we walk our dog every morning. And, you know, the lakes here and all this. So it's all beautiful trees, everything. I mean, I don't take any of that for, the squirrels, the birds. I don't take any of that for granted. So then it's just like, it, it was like mid-January, maybe early February. And it just kind of set in for me like, wow, just, that was it. Because before that, I felt like I had to do something. You know, still getting up early. Just feel like I had to do something. And finally, just the peace came over. Like, okay, that's it, man. Just just get used to the mundane. And joining. then the podcast came about. I said, okay. I was trying to think of a name. And, and I would think of stuff that I would always say a lot of times. I say a lot of stuff, the same stuff over and over and over. And I said, it all counts. That was my life. It all counts. The ups, the ups, downs, the highs and lows, the cancer, getting cut by NBA team, doing that, whatever, losing your job, all that. It's just, it all counts in life. It's the journey of life. And really, for me, that's the joys of life. Because what, it, what, what I've always felt, I always feel like God has kept that thorn in my rib to keep me balanced, to stay humble. Because in that, God has also blessed me. I think people knew this about me as a young guy. I had the ability to be a leader as a young guy. So with that, God also knew a leadership, a leader without power, a leader with power that lacks compassion is very dangerous. So for me, I always had to have a level of humility to me. Now, again, I, I, I got a somewhat a strong bark when I'm competing in the trenches, but man, I'm as nice as they come. I'm a good guy, but, but, but I had to have that level of compassion. So I think God keeps that thorn on my side to keep me balanced. I don't get too high, I don't get too low because I need to continue to use it. And then what also in that, it all counts. Everybody hits a rough patch. And then every time you hit that rough patch, I don't care if you're at the peak of whatever you're doing, but every time you hit that rough patch, it takes something out of you. It continues to take something out of you. Now, where do you muster up the energy to keep fighting? How do you get up and keep going? So now what I had to do, I had to enjoy the small things in life. Just to, So now, and what I say for me, small, as soon as I get up in the morning, I'm praying before my feet hit the bed, I'm praying to God, thinking now, mind you, I pray throughout the day. I'm, so it's like, there's not an hour, or half an hour ago, I ain't, I'm not talking to God. I figure he's my father and right-hand man, so we're just talking all the time. But before I hit the, my feet the floor, I already laid a prayer down. So now I'm praying all day, I'm driving the car, whatever it is, it's the joys. Because again, just, just think about this. Here we are, three wonderful men on this podcast. Now, you have... There are fathers in prison that would never see daylight again, ever. Now, here we are on the podcast, enjoying the podcast, spreading the word, helping as many young coaches, older coaches, CEOs, helping as best we can. They're they trying to make ends meet. They're working hard. They got to beat the budget crunch, the quarterly crunches, whatever that is. But somebody in prison would never see daylight, 23 hour lockdown, and their kids are getting old and old, and all they can do, hope that they continue to send me pictures, hope they continue to visit me. But as they get older, time passes, they don't see me anymore, and all of a sudden they're gone. Wow. Wow. Gone. So now all of a sudden, so why should I take the small things for granted? Because the small things for me are real big. Because all of a sudden, God might call me home tomorrow, and it's like, man, what was your work? Did you do what I asked you to do while you was on earth? That's what life really is, man. We got to enjoy the small things. So now, and I think the best coaches, when the best, when I say the best, I mean, because I, I don't, for me, the best have never been just because you won a championship. The best for me, the ones that get a whole soul, 
because because you, you chose the coach. Take the money out. How many would still be doing it at a high level? So now for me, if you great at what you do as a coach, when you get up out the bed, it felt like you lift weights all day yesterday just because you were teaching and dealing with your players. Now, you didn't touch a weight, but your body's so exhausted, and you got to do it the next day, the next day, the next day. And all of a sudden, you look up like Gene Cady, 40-plus years later, mission complete. Right. Mission complete. Yeah. And one of the questions that you literally just covered on that I was going to say is, is you know, how for those people that struggle getting up, because I mean, I'll be the first one to admit, yeah, I'm, I'm self-motivated. I try and find these little ways to do it. But there's days where you wake up and you're like, ah, not today, snooze, you know, 10 more minutes, not today. But for, I guess, in your opinion, the final question I really have on this before we cut to the final segment is just. Everybody always says get better each day. Now, what does that necessarily mean? It could mean like you you obviously go, you, you're not going to gain, if you're trying to gain muscle, you're not going to gain 10 pounds of muscle every single day. You're not going to, you know, you're going to maybe learn one thing. But what for you, what is the definition of getting better each day? You know, you know and, and Doug, if I don't answer that, if I sometimes I get off track when I get to talking about things, but no, you're good. Back in. Back in. <laughs> but what happened, you get so many books on, various types of leadership and all that. In my opinion, the best leadership book and knowledge is the Bible. You can gain so much knowledge there. So again, for me, it's finding balance in the midst of chaos. Man, when you're successful, there's chaos. Because if not, then you're not very successful. But when you're at the highest peak of things, I, I don't like using this word, but I'm going to use it for the sake and hopefully kids understand bullets flying everywhere. They're coming at you. When you're at the top, everybody coming to knock you off your block. Even some on the same team trying to knock you off your block. So you got to be able to function in the midst of chaos. So how do you find balance? And everybody, man, it, it, it's, it's so funny when I read these books of, of balance, life, and coaching. Man, where is that at? You, you tell me, how can you find balance in coaching? Because if a player called me and, and he's, he's in harm's way at 1 o'clock in the morning, I got to deal with that. So it's, it's a lifestyle. When you do what we do and you do it at the level, and I've, I've never been a head coach to pass the buck to say my assistant coach, you go deal with that. I'm, I'm on vacation hanging out. I got to get in it because when that mom passed or that dad passed that baton, they passed to me and I got to do my job because I have children. So I like for you to show the same respect to my children. So really it's just a, it's finding the balance in the midst of chaos because it's going to be that if you don't have no issues, no drama, no chaos in your world, then you like me sitting at the beach hanging out. That's all. But even that, <laughs> but even that, even if you're a parent and one, and one of my former players, when I was assistant coach at Purdue, his dad said this to me. I was on the elevator. He said this to me because he, he's, he's now a grandfather. His son played for us at Purdue. Now his son is doing very well. And he's a grandfather. He has grandkids. And we get off the elevator. He's, before we get off, he said, you know, uh, how's your family? We talked about a lot. He said, uh, the one thing about a parent you're never as happy as your saddest child. You're only as happy as your saddest child. So think about it. Even if you're retired and you have success as a CEO of a company, if you have a heart and you care, if your children aren't doing well, you feel that. So it never stops. So life never really stops until they put you in the casket. So you got to keep living. So, I mean, and, 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 but that's the beauty about life. God forces you. The beautiful thing about God, he forces you to care. Now, you can choose to or not, but he forces you to care because that's why he never just had it just you. He forced you to have a heart, and that's why I love him. Oh, man, I tell you what, I, I, I'm sitting over here like usually I'm not left speechless, 
I even have a script sitting here that I can talk on, and I'm still kind of like I I, I want to dissect that in so many different ways. But um, I'm so happy you said a lot of that. Alan, do you have any final things before we get into the final segment? Because I obviously want to make sure to be uh, transparent with our time and, and and not overdoing with him as well. No, this this has been five minutes into it. It was a home run. So, <laughs> I was going to say, you know, I'm like, oh. it, it, it's like when you go up to the Grand Canyon, the biggest thing you can do is shut up. <laughs> you know, because that, that's what people do. They walk up to this thing, and I, you've seen it, Zoe. Uh, yes. Oh, yes. Like. You oh, can't yeah. talk that away. No. Like, it makes no sense to start talking the moment you first see the Grand Canyon. You know, it's just like, you're like, what is going on here? You know, like, you want, you want to feel two inches tall and humble and insignificant? I'm telling you. So I say all that to say this has been a hell of an experience just for me, obviously, to reconnect with Yuzo. Um I love you, man. As a brother, as a friend. No doubt, love you too, family. Um, so uh, having you on here has been incredible. Um, so I say we, uh, I say we get to the family feud segment of uh, ri- rising coaches here, man. Let's. See. <laughs> Doug got Doug, Doug got three quick hitters for you. Oh, go ahead. So now, now we say quick hitters. Do I have to answer in twenty seconds or thirty seconds? No, we don't. We have, we don't have the okay, shot okay. clock. We don't have the okay, shot okay, clock. Okay, okay, cool, yeah, cool. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> he's already thinking like, yeah, I ain't gonna be able to limit okay. him in twenty seconds. <laughs> Basically what it is, three quick hitters, yeah, like you said, um, it is just three quick questions and short, quick responses. So you don't need to necessarily elaborate on them, but just short, quick responses. And then they have a little bit to do about like the motivational side, a little bit about basketball, and just mainly to learn about you. Uh, But the first one, in your opinion, what are maybe just a couple habits to be successful that somebody can have? I think the first thing is uh, you have to make peace with your past. You have, you have to make peace with your past, man. You, you can't let that beat you up, man. And I've, I've, I've had boxing gloves on my past for a long time. Make peace with your past. Uh, there has to be a level of humility in order to be successful. And then I think the last thing that I've lived by, you got to die trying. You got to die trying. Aside from your obvious necessities, food, water, all that stuff, what's something that you personally feel like you cannot go a day without? My wife and children. And then the last one, I actually just kind of put this down as you were talking about it because I wanted to make sure to cover it. But, like, what is a good couple, as many as you have, books or anything that maybe people can can read? Um, I guess maybe you can get a little free marketing out of this as well. But um, what are some, like, books that you would recommend for people to kind of help motivate them, whether it's coaching or just in life? No, no. Um, it's, this is real. So, as you yeah. can see, it's not, not, it's this video and audio. Can you see this? Yep. This is this is the one year Bible. So this is this is one. So it's a, so it's about 15, 20 minute reading every day. Now, I've read a lot of books. So, so I don't want to just start calling up like I just because I, I don't I read Viola Davis book. Loved it. I, lo- I read Cicely Tyson's book. I read Will Smith's book, 50 Cent book, uh, Nipsey Hussle's book. I mean, Malcolm X, but Martin, several, several on Martin Luther King, several on James Baldwin. For me. I don't read a lot of sports books from the standpoint of unless they've been through something in life. They, they've been through something. For me, like like my favorite actress of all time is Cicely Tyson. I enjoy reading her book. My second favorite is Viola Davis. So so I read those books. And, and I know Will Smith had his issues, but phenomenal book if you hadn't read it. And it's before whatever came out, but a phenomenal book. Uh, 50 Cent is a... Uh, 
great at what he do, a marketing genius, in my opinion. And, and, and people might feel a certain way about him, but read, read his book. Now, again, I don't know him personally, but phenomenal book. And I just enjoyed Nipsey's book. Uh, and it was kind of narrated by somebody else. Uh, I read the history of West Coast, NWA and all I read it. So for me, those are the joys in reading because it's real life stuff. Who's going through some of the things I've gone through? Because what happens, what I learned in life, you can survive and have success, but still suffer. I mean, think about it. You can survive and have success in life, but still suffer. And I don't want to get in, 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 in all that, but you can. And, and, and I heard Bishop T.D. Jake said, success is a bloody business. Somebody always try to knock you off your block and destroy you. And you have to keep that in mind. But I've read so many books, man. But I, I, the joy for me in books that have moved me, uh, like like I think the book, it was a book called, and this, I read it probably during COVID, The Rising Sun. It was about a guy who spent 30 years in prison in Alabama, wrongly accused. Phenomenal book. Phenomenal book. And it just, those are the ones that move me, man, that move my soul because it lets me know life is real. And then the final question that we have to just kind of wrap things up completely, and we always end our podcast this way, for Young, as you know, our company, Rising Coaches, um, just ways to be able to help coaches move up in the industry, but then also learn about that and, you know, grow, as Alan always says, and help grow the industry as well as help grow the coaches throughout. Mm -hmm. um, what's your number one best piece of advice, if you can narrow down to one, that is, uh, who are trying to get their foot in the door, and then how can they accomplish that advice? Have a commitment to being successful. Have a commitment to being. Now, whatever that is, then also understand in that it's going to take time, hard work, and sacrifice. Are you willing to sacrifice? I mean, because you look at some of the greats that are head coaches now in, in all sports, CEOs of companies, they started some cases at the lowest level. They start at the lowest level, and then look where they ended up because they were committed to doing the small things again. When you do those small things consistently, you live a big life. You live a big life. That's what I would say to him. That's a bat. That's a home run, home run bat flip. You know, you there's a, the, you know, guy hits, a, guy hits one out of the park, man. The, the, the opposing bench gets mad at him for flipping the bat, you know, but it went 460 feet. Like, <laughs> okay. Strike him out then. If you don't like it, strike him out. That's true. That's true. You know, yeah. so, but you gotta, you can flip, you can flip the bat after this, this pod, man. Cause yes. uh, you you brought something to and it's exactly what we're trying to do with this pod mm -hmm. the, the three words and, and you know educate inspire and challenge that's our big three and um you know like i like doug said we want to grow coaches and help them advance that's part of it but we also want to grow the profession because this profession is given more to us than we can ever possibly give back to it so if this little one percent that we're doing with this, you know, helps one coach somewhere in one small way, then you know we'll take it. But uh, but uh, this has been a blast, man. We appreciate you. No, oh, thank you guys for having me. Anytime, any, any assistance I can give, I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Well, that does it for us, um, Coach Conzo Martin. Obviously, again, thank you for sharing your experiences. I'm not kidding. Everything on here has been absolutely phenomenal. And that does it again for another episode of the Rising Coaches Podcast. Doug Caputo and Alan Major, keep working, keep rising, coaches. Video analysis is expensive, and your budget probably isn't getting much bigger. Fulcrum Tech is here to help. Used by basketball teams at all levels, from Division I all the way to high school, 
Their Angles product is very similar to what you know and allows you to code, capture, and analyze with ease. All you have to do is import the raw video in Synergy with just the click of a mouse. Over the past two years, over 60% of Division I teams in conferences such as the SEC, Pac-12, American, NBC, and A-10, just to name a few, have made the postseason, all while using Fulcrum Tech and saving thousands and thousands of dollars compared to their old companies. Reach out to Fulcrum Tech on X at Fulcrum Tech or their sales at sales at fulcrumtech.com. Just shoot them over an email and be sure to mention if you are a Rising Coaches member. Do more, spend less with Fulcrum Tech. I want to thank all our listeners for tuning in with us this episode. If you are not a member, want more content, or even be a potential member on our member spotlight to have your story heard, go visit risingcoaches.com. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and X at Rising Coaches. And don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating, and review so we can continue to keep rising together.